morning. It is such, such a pleasure to be here with you this morning. We, uh, we woke up extra early to allow the boys to spend some time opening their presents and, and looking at the things that they had under the tree and to uh, enjoy that, to watch them, to see them smile. Uh, and that, that really was, uh, that was a lot of fun. As Richard talked about earlier, that, uh, this is a very fun time of year. But, but really the, the joy that we, uh, that I, I just enjoy so much is, is the joy of being here with you all. And to, to see each and every one of you on a, on a day that is cold and, and is dreary, just not a, a, one of these really bright sort of days that we kind of associate with Christmas sometimes. We expect to see a really bright day with the, the snow on the ground. And, you know, looking out today, that's, that's not what we see, but... Still, uh, when there were so many things that could have kept us home, so many things that could have taken our attention away from where it rightfully belongs on this day, we have decided to be together with one another and spend time worshiping and praising our, our great God. And that uh, truly encourages and lifts me up. This morning, uh, I want to talk, I hinted about this Wednesday, Wednesday evening, we're going to talk a little bit about the birth of Christ and the significance of the birth of Christ. There is a lot of significance to that day. And and this day, December 25th, is what we call Christmas and is the annual holiday celebrated by millions around the world that they spend this day commemorating his birth. And we talked about this a couple Sundays back. We uh, we consider talked about how many considers to be one of the most holy of days and that's why we call it a holiday, a holy day. Um and, and we discussed that in the New Testament, we just simply do not find that Christians ever celebrated a, a annual observance of the birth of Jesus. In fact, it didn't really receive widespread uh, acceptance until around the 19th century. And as for the actual day of Jesus' birth, we just simply don't know when that day was. The New Testament doesn't provide any clues in that regard. It just simply states that it happened between... The, uh, or in the days of, excuse me, the, the ruling of Caesar Augustus. And while Quirinus was governing Syria. We see that in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And so the idea that Jesus was born on December 25th was, was an idea that didn't come around for several hundred years until around the year 221 A.D. And even then it was argued and speculated that no, it, it was actually a, a date in January. And there was just a lot of, of difference on it. And while many churches today do not celebrate Christmas per se, many churches today choose to abide in nothing but the apostles' doctrine. If you read Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, they, they note Paul's warnings uh, regarding religious holidays in Galatians chapter 4. And they value Jesus' warnings of regarding the traditions of men in Matthew chapter 15, all of which are things we talked about a couple Sundays ago. This, however, cannot, absolutely cannot, demean the importance of the birth of Jesus. Because Jesus' birth does have great significance to both Christians and to non-Christians. And it's something that we should think about often, certainly more than once a year. It is an appropriate subject, even on Christmas Day. It's an appropriate subject to think about. Just as sermons on thanksgiving or thankfulness are, are appropriate on Thanksgiving. Just like a pro, uh, sermons on the, the significance of mothers and fathers are appropriate on Mother's Day and Father's Day 
On this day that the world has, so many of the world have set aside to say we're going to think about the birth of Christ, it is just as appropriate for us as well to, to give some thought to it and to see that it certainly does have a very great importance in our lives. Assuming the birth of Jesus is on the minds of many, I would like to, to use this opportunity then to review such significance. And I want to begin by noting that, that it is very significant because it was prophesied. In the book of Isaiah, turn over to Isaiah chapter 7. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. We read his, that his birth was prophesied and his name was prophesied. Isaiah 7 verse 14. says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and, he, and she will call his name Emmanuel meaning God among us, or that God would live among men. Think for a moment the situation that Judah was in in this time, that Judah was dealing with in, in Isaiah chapter 7. This is the time of Ahaz is ruling as king of Judah. And Ahaz is not necessarily in a very um, successful situation right now. First of all, Ahaz is not... A, a king that is known for following after God. He was one that did not do like David, but rather he followed after the gods of other lands. He followed and worshipped Molech, which meant his, his children were, were offered up to Molech. And at this time, when this is going on, he, he is uh, being talked to by Isaiah, who was sent to him by the Lord. Because Ahaz is in a situation where he is being viciously attacked. He's being attacked by Pekah, the king of Israel, who has is also joined arms with Rezin, the king of Aram, or the king of Syria. So he's got a lot of confrontation going on. There's people coming from, from all around attacking him. In fact, we, we can read of a time when 128,000 men were killed in a day. Over 200,000 were, were taken captive. This is a time of sorrow. This is a time of, of disbelief. This is a time of broken people. And if we look at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 2, we find that the, 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 the hearts of these people, the shape they were in. It says, when it was reported to the house of David, saying the, Ar uh, the Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. They had no, they had no more strength left. They, they were beaten, and they were afraid. And it is this time, in this situation, when it is prophesied that this God-man was coming, and his birth would be miraculous, and yet his diet would be that of the same of a man. If we read in verse 15, he will eat curds and honey at the time that he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. He is going to be miraculous. He is going to be from God, but he is going to be full-fledged man. John chapter 1 and verse 1 describes this. <clears throat> John chapter 1 and verse 1, we read that's exactly what God is, or what, what John is telling us, saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. And we read that He was full-fledged deity. He was God, but yet in verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, and of truth. And we see all of this being fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 
in verse 23, when it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translate, translated means God with us. When the angels uh, come and, and tell Mary and, 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 and Joseph and tell them what is coming, and, and we see this prophecy fulfilled in the birth of Christ. <clears throat> Not only was this important because it, it was the fulfillment of a prophecy made so long ago, prophesied by Isaiah in a time of, of broken people. It was fulfilled in a time of broken people, and it foreshadowed something great that was coming. You see, when, when Ahaz receives this prophecy, he's facing the end of a kingdom. He's looking at the end of, of rule. He's looking at the destruction of his people. And yet it's prophesied that a, 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 a child will come and he will be great. And in chapter 9, we see that he will set up a kingdom that will last forever. Chapter 9, verse 6 through 7 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the governors will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, and there will be no end of the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You know, many of the Pharisees, it seems, and, and, you, and you think still, you think of what this sounded like to Ahaz. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I need. I'm getting beat. My kingdom is being destroyed. I need this child to be born. And that thought carries through even to the day when this, when this prophecy is fulfilled. And, and while many of the Pharisees completely missed the connections between Isaiah chapter 7 and Jesus, the prophecy that they saw there, they, they completely missed this connection. They didn't miss this one. They knew what was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9. And they said, we are looking for that Messiah that's going to come and is going to set up this government. And he's going to, to rule his kingdom. But yet what they misunderstood was that David's kingdom, David's kingdom was simply over the Jews, over the Israelites. But in actuality, the kingdom that he was coming to set up was, was going to be a kingdom that ruled over the chosen people of God. The birth of Christ in this bookends both the, the establishment of God's kingdom and the rule over his chosen people under a new covenant. But these aren't the only things that it does. We also maybe think of the, of the uh, prophecies in, in Micah. The book of Micah. Micah chapter 5. In verse 2. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth. For me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Notice Micah refers to Bethlehem as the least. But if we want to turn over to Matthew in chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, Matthew refers to Bethlehem in a different way. In verse 6 he says, And you Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. <clears throat> How can this be? 
Why is there a difference? Why, why, are, why does, did Matthew remember the prophecy wrong? Was he, was he regarding what, what Micah had said back in, in, in so long ago? Was he, was he getting it wrong? I like to think about it for just a moment that in an earthly value, in an earthly value, Bethlehem certainly had zero significance. They had no significance because of the division of the clans. And the way they divided these clans up in Israel is kind of similar to how maybe we would divide up states and countries or counties and cities. Where I grew up at over in Clark County, there are several places that are not big enough to be a city, but they are small enough to be randomly, and they're not small, or excuse me, they are too small to be randomly absorbed into the county. We have places such as Providence and Trap and Ford and Becknerville, all these places that, that are just really nothing more than a sign on the side of the road. As you drive down, as you drive down the road, we're passing Becknerville. Bethlehem kind of held a similar significance. It was so small that it couldn't even rank in, in the thousands as, as, they would, as they would specify their clans, the thousands of, of mighty men or, or men of fighting age that a clan had. They couldn't even rank in that. In fact, it's believed that they had at most a population of 500, maybe 1,000, but not 1,000 men of fighting age. So Bethlehem is a very small, insignificant place in an earthly sense. But yet, when we come to Matthew, he's talking about the spiritual sense of Bethlehem and the great significance that that insignificant earthly town held in hosting the birth of the Prince of Peace who would come to rule over Israel. But his reign would not bless Israel alone. As we read on in Micah chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, he says, Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor is born a child, and then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. He will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. When the Assyrian invades our land, when the Assyrian invades our land, when he tramples on our citadels, then we will raise against when then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight leaders. Of men, the significance of Jesus' birth is that it was prophesied that God would dwell among men and God would establish his kingdom and his reign that now reaches to the end of the earth. These things were extremely significant because they came to be. If this didn't happen, if he was not born in Bethlehem, if his name was not given as Emmanuel, none of this matters. None of this is he was nothing more than a man that did some great things. But this proves and was given as a sign, as, we, as you read in Isaiah, that he was from God. But it's not just significant because he fulfilled promise or prophecies. It's significant as well because he fulfilled promises. Over in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. We read of a promise given to Joseph. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. <clears throat> but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And as John the Baptist would later announce in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This promise was given to Joseph. What about to Mary over in Luke chapter 1? In Luke chapter 1, where so much emphasis is placed on Mary, we read starting in verse 26. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear son, and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of, the, of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. We can read of that promise back over in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 and 13 talks about the promise of His birth and the subsequent reign that, that would happen because of that. But in the promises made to Joseph and to Mary, we learn that Jesus' birth was significant again because it precluded the establishment of God's kingdom just as prophesied, but also because of its purpose. Jesus came into this world with a purpose that would not be stopped, that could not be impeded. He came to save men from their save man from his sins. Notice that he came not to teach men to tolerate sin. He came not to teach men to live peacefully in their sin but to make them safe from it. To make it possible for them to totally obliterate sin from their lives. In fact, we cannot consider ourselves to be His people, to be His chosen race unless we are saved from the power and the rule or dominion of sin. Over in 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, it tells us that was the purpose of, for his appearing. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 says, Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, who, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Again, the significance of Jesus' birth is seen in that God was about to establish his kingdom promised by the prophets and angels, but also that He came to save us from something that we had no defense against, to give us the ability to be safe from sin. And finally, we would consider its significance through proclamation. Look over in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says, In the same region there were some, sh- 
there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. His birth presented to the world a Savior, a Lord, peace and goodwill. And his birth would result in giving light to, the, to many. And as we continue on in Luke 2, we come down to verse 25. In verse 25 through 32, we read of the proclamation by a man named Simon. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, and his man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit unto the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. According to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father <clears throat> and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Without the light that Jesus offered, the light that came through his birth in this earth. We are just like, the, as the Gentiles are so often described, we are in the dark. The light of Christ draws men to him. Problems are better understood. Fear is conquered. And hope is filled. And as Isaiah spoke, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3, he said, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of of your rising. The prophets knew it so long ago that the, this birth of, of, of this child of God, the Son of God, when He comes, is going to not only be spectacular, the life that He, that he lives on this earth, and there were spectacular signs that accompany it, but it is going to mark an era where there is light, where there is something that draws men to God like never before. And never before or after the coming of Christ has, has one man had such an impact on the lives of many. But what less could we really expect from the coming of God? But to point out, just like in those days, many are drawn to Christ, but not all will stay. As we read on verses 33 through 35, it says, And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him, and Simon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word fall here means disappointment. It means misery and sorrow. And that's just what so many received. They were offended 
they were disappointed because Christ didn't live up to those expectations that they, that they had, to what they were reading back in Isaiah chapter 9, to, to what they were looking for in a temporal king. They were looking for someone who was going to give them the physical inheritance that they felt was due them. And this was revealed in the hearts of men such as the Pharisees. And in the anger and the hatred that they spewed out against the Son of God. But also in the errors of even His disciples that loved Him. And so who often failed to see the bigger picture that was playing out right in front of them. Many today are drawn likewise to the light and the hope that Christ offers. But when He is not what they expect, we turn back. We turn back to this world. When the cost is too high. When, when, when the world and its riches and its pleasures and all the pomp that goes along with it calls and beckons to us. Turn back because Satan has offered up a cheap imitation of what Christ truly is. So what's the significance of the birth of Christ? The significance of the birth of Christ is that it made it possible. It made it possible that a kingdom of God could be established that redemption and salvation from sin for both the Jew and Gentile was available, and peace and goodwill would be brought amongst men. Now, of course, such things would not have been possible without the subsequent suffering and death of Jesus on the cross as well. Without the resurrection and the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God. Without the sending of the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles into all the truth. All of these things work together to, to show us the beautiful picture that God has painted of His love for us. And because all these things work together, maybe this is why Jesus didn't ask His disciples to commemorate His death, His birth, but rather His death in 1 Corinthians 11. And Acts 20 verse 7 tells us something that they did on a weekly basis, not an annual basis, as we've done here this morning. But for in all in all honesty, we probably will never know. We will never know why Jesus chose to be remembered in this way. And why he never gave instruction to memorialize his birth. But what we can know, what we better remember, is that whenever we reflect and we should reflect on the birth of Christ, we should ask ourselves as well. He came to be my Lord. He came to be my Savior. He came to save me from my sins. And He came to reign as the King of my heart. Have I fulfilled the significance of His birth in my life? Have I fulfilled the significance of His birth by responding to the significance of His death and His resurrection as we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36 and verse 38? These men... As they, as they learned and understood who this Christ was. Upon hearing the words, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Do we ask that question to ourselves every time we think of His birth, of His life, and of His death? What will I do? 
this morning as we have focused our attention on the birth of Christ, I hope we realize His birth has made our spiritual rebirth possible. And if you have not yet been born again of water and the Spirit, if you have not yet responded to the good news, the gospel that is this child was born of a virgin, this child was the Christ, the Son of God, and He came and He lived and He died so that you might be saved from your sins. If we have not yet responded to that, then what significance can Christ possibly have in our lives? Don't wait any longer. Come to Jesus, giving up on sin, turning from the world before it is everlasting too late. If there's some way we can assist you this morning, and I hope that you would please let it be known as we stand and as we sing.